Hello, we're getting used to visiting one another through a screen in their living spaces these days. And I didn't want any distractions because I tend to look behind the communicator at what they've got on their bookshelves or the kind of furnishings that they have. So I thought we would join together in the dining room where I have a plain wall behind me. And in a few moments, I'm going to sit down and start communicating about what I consider one of the most effective, useful bits of information that we can have about living the Christian life in a useful and fruitful way. We're going to talk about the miracle and mystery of Christianity, starting with the strangest miracle Jesus ever did. You will find it in Mark 8, and in a few moments we'll open the Bible and we'll have that passage read to us. When someone knew that I was going to be talking about this subject, they emailed me a few quotes about the strangest things that have happened in the world. One which raised a smile was that the longest recorded flight for a chicken is 13 seconds. I guess that if you are a chicken in preparation for the next Chicken Olympic Games, if there is one, then you will be interested in that piece of information. Another piece of information wasn't so much trivial pursuits. A quarter of a million people are seriously injured or die every year because they are left-handed in a right-handed world with products produced for the right-handed. Now, as I happen to be left-handed for some things and right-handed for other things, that is particularly interesting for me. But none of that is as important as what we're going to look at now when we turn to God's Word. And reading God's Word and praying for us will be Leandro over in Brazil. And so we're going to go over to a place where there would usually today be a church with a number of different congregations rushing around and bustling and worshipping and hearing the word of God. Nothing like that is happening there now for the same reason we are not meeting in churches here. San Paolo area is the epicentre of COVID-19. But we'll join with Leandro. It's three o'clock in the afternoon there as we join him for the reading of God's word and to pray for us. Greetings from Brazil. What a joy. I welcome you to our headquarters ministries. From here, we help hundreds of children that live under the poverty line. More than that, from here, we plant church across Brazil. And right here, we produce Bible content that we deliver to Portuguese-speaking community around the world. What a joy to take part of this important time where we're going to learn the Word of God together. We have people from so many countries together, united by Christ, and of course, enjoy the beautiful 
English language. I'm going to read God's word now in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. And here's the word of God. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Let's pray. Good Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to learn your word and to be guided by your spirit. May our hearts and minds be open. May we be a fruitful soil where the seeds of your word may grow and produce fruits in abundance. In Jesus' name, amen. A man was driving along a country lane and he was passing by a dairy farm and his car stalled. He got out to check the engine and as he did so, a cow came over and looked over the fence at him and then said, I think you will find it's the carburetor. Stunned by this, when he saw the farmer, he said, you have got some remarkable cow there. It spoke to me and it spoke at about my engine of the car. And the farmer said, oh, not that remarkable. You don't want to take any notice of that cow. Doesn't know the first thing about car engines. Just a story, of course, but like that farmer, sometimes when it comes to Christianity and the way in which it works in our lives, we can miss out on the miracle of it all. In fact, every time you open a Bible, do you realize you are opening a miracle? How God, a talkative God, has communicated what he wants to say about life and about us and about eternal issues. That itself is a miracle. And we're going to look at a very unusual incident in the Miracle Bible, and we're going to look at one particular miracle. It's only in Mark's Gospel, and it's the only time Jesus healed in stages. Did he have a power shortage? You know what I mean? He has to have two attempts at getting this miracle done. Bit of a run-up the first time round. Is that the case? I don't think so. But then spitting on someone needs clarifying because he does that as well. Notice that they brought this blind man to him. So it wasn't his expectations of anything miraculous happening. It was the expectations of his friends or perhaps members of his family. He's blind and they're leading him. It's their faith, not his faith, which is going to be honoured. Is that important? It's huge. 
You see, a doctrine has been doing the rounds for a while and it's been given credibility in some places that you have to have enough faith. And if you've just got enough faith, then you will see the miraculous of God happening in your life. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Well, there's no record of this man having any faith, but the real story is found in the fact that this was a miracle that Jesus did in two stages. After the first stage, the man sees, but his vision is blurry. Only when Jesus touches him a second time can he see clearly. Everything Jesus did was for a purpose. When he said things, when he behaved in a particular way, there was nothing random about it. It was always true and it was always necessary. So this has to be necessary that he operates and functions this way in the miraculous. So to get to the root of what is going on here, let's drill down on the miracle by asking a few questions. And the first question that immediately occurs to me is why heal in stages? I mean, it was not because of a lack in Jesus. This was not a hard case. This was not where he needed to warm up the first time to get going the second time around. So question number two comes out of that. What do we learn from the context? If you want to understand something like this, see it in its context of other things that Jesus has said and has done in the gospel. And if you look at the beginning of Mark 8, you will see he has just fed miraculously 4,000 people. And immediately afterwards, Pharisees came to argue. And Jesus and the disciples got into a boat and Jesus spoke about leaven. Now, leaven or yeast is necessary for baking bread. And he was speaking about the Pharisees who were all puffed up in their ideas of religion and how you needed to function and behave in life. And the disciples thought he was talking about literal bread. And Jesus said, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember you can remember as parents and even now as grandparents, some of you saying that to the kids, can't you? How many times have I said this? Have you not really remembered what needs to be remembered here? And that leads us to question number three. What is Jesus teaching? This miracle is a parable of the disciples' spiritual confusion. It's possible to have eyes and yet not see clearly. Now, eyes are amazing. Some years ago, a friend of mine, Tony Stewart, who was a surgeon for 40 years, wrote a book about the body and he related it to scripture and applied it spiritually because he had 60 years at that time of experience and study of the Bible. And I love what he had to say about the eyes. 
you blink six million times a year. That is the equivalent of having your eyes shut, apart from sleeping, for 1.2 years of your life. Now, I don't wear glasses, but if you cover one of my eyes, it will look as though you will not want to be with me if I'm driving in a car because I have one long-sighted and one short-sighted. They compensate one for the other, so I can do without glasses. But Jesus was saying to his disciples, cloudy spiritual vision, that's your problem. And that's what this blind man experienced, which is why the first time round, he was seeing people like trees walking. But we all have spiritual nearsightedness. Which is why Paul prayed for our whole church. And in the first prayer in Ephesians 1, he said, oh, I so want you to understand what is going on because of your connection points with God and all that he is about in time and eternity. And I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened and that you will grasp the significance of what you're now involved in as believers in Christ with your hope in him. And then he follows up that prayer later on in Ephesians 3 by saying, oh, this goes far beyond knowledge. If you just see it, this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Question. Can you contain the fullness of God in your life? And the answer is yes. Just like a thimble can contain the fullness of the Atlantic Ocean. But there is, I think, a little bit left over. So we can be filled with all the fullness of God. And yet still, there's so much more. But do we see it? God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Do you know, when Paul was praying that prayer, it looks as though he was making up words. He is just morphing words together because this is just so great and so amazing as an experience. But he's saying, can you see it to experience it? We can go through life seeing things from a human viewpoint or a divine viewpoint. Do you remember, David, when he saw Goliath breathing out threats against God's people, Israel, and how that the Israelites, including King Saul, only saw this mighty man breathing out those threats and they were seeing it like this. He is so big, we can't kill him. And David was seeing it from a divine viewpoint. He is so big, I can't miss him with a small stone. That was the difference. Human viewpoint and divine viewpoint. Which brings us to question number four. What should we learn from this amazing miracle? The more I look at this, the more I see, and I'm hard pressed just to keep it to the limits here of time. This is so relevant. And here's the first thing that I see. We get different treatment from God. God does not treat us the same way. Now, that's an important point for this reason. Jesus has the power to heal instantly or in stages. 
He is not limited by anything, and he heals one person with a touch, another person with a word, and yet still another person at a distance. Jesus healed three blind men differently. In one case, he touched the blind man and he was healed. In a second, he spat on the ground, putting mud on the eyes, and he was healed. But in this case, he spat directly into the blind man's eyes. Now, I know that sounds a little bit repulsive to us because we don't understand the culture and the message that Jesus was signaling through doing it that way. I have a, a friend of long standing who, when he communicates and writes about this, Charles Price loves to be able to put it this way. Suppose these three blind men met and compared notes. If they were like some Christians are today, well, there would be an argument. What is the proper method of being healed from blindness? Because each had experienced a different method. And the end result would probably be three distinct sects. Out of that meeting would come the touchites, the mudites, and the spitites. We advance spiritually when we say, Lord, you don't have to treat me the way you treat others. Now, we all understand that and agree with that theoretically until we're in a situation when we're praying perhaps for a child or a grandchild or some situation that needs the miraculous intervention of God, and it doesn't happen the way we want. But it does happen that way for a friend in the church. And we think, why not me? People think that because God did something for a friend a particular way, he must do it that way for us all. But it doesn't work like that with God. You see, God can deliver our neighbour from cancer and we may die or vice versa. He's God and he will deal with us the way he wants. Anyone who has prayed will understand that point. One night we fish and catch nothing. The next day our nets are full to breaking. Didn't that happen to the disciples? In prison, an angel comes at night and releases Peter so that he might be able to join a church prayer meeting. But James, different for him, he is taken out of that prison in order to be executed. One day I sense God's spirit working powerfully in my life. And then the next day, it's routine. That's how it goes for all of God's children different treatment. Our God is infinitely creative in the way he deals with us. And there are bright days and dark nights, and both are from the Lord. That understood, there is a second matter that we need to consider from this amazing miracle. The diverse tactics of God. Do you see that? God deals with us according to our need. He dealt with this poor blind man privately. He took hold of his hand and he led him away from the town. He wasn't going to be entertainment for the crowd. Why did he do that? 
is what I believe. Our Lord had pronounced judgment on this town and a few others in that area as well. Doing a miracle in such a situation where they're not really interested in him, just interested into a show, that will be of no help to them spiritually at all. So it's like this is between me and you. So he leads him away from the town. Probably he didn't belong and live in that town anyway. Jesus is not trying to meet the expectations of the crowd. Remember, Jesus touched this man twice. That's no small point for a blind man. The blind compensate for their lack of sight by developing other senses, don't they? Which leads me on to the next point that we can make from this very strange miracle. A different timing. We don't get better at the same rate, let alone in the same way. And it helps to know this when praying for our loved ones away from the Lord. How often have we done what these friends did for this blind man? They brought him to Jesus Please help him. That's always a good thing to do. We sometimes will be doing that when we're praying for somebody that we know that they might understand, that they might see the gospel for themselves. When you are praying for someone, you realize you are not forcing them to respond to God and to become Christians. You are reinforcing the good thing that God wants to do which is for their benefit in their lives. You are giving them light. You're helping them to see the gospel and to understand its implications and application into their lives. But often the change we seek comes very slowly. For every person suddenly and completely transformed, it's slowly for other people. Saying that is not giving in to a lack of faith, and it's certainly not giving in to pessimism, but sometimes it's to our benefit, getting better gradually. Spectacular healings amaze us, and thank God, they do happen. And yet God often chooses to heal by ordinary means. I remember when I was a church pastor visiting a man, he was just 41 years old, and I happened to call at the hospital within seconds of his doctor telling him, I'm sorry, there is nothing that we can do for you other than make you comfortable. But this is terminal. And I remember his comment to me. He looked me in the eye and there was a little bit of a, a smile on his lips. And he said, you know, Derek, Either God will take the cancer out of my body and he will heal me or he will take me out of my body and take me into a new body in a new earth and a new heaven. But that requires faith. But that's a different way of being treated. This principle works across the spectrum of the spiritual life. Some people come to Christ and grow quickly, becoming strong disciples. Others take years to become strong in the faith. All of us have areas, whoever we are, however, 
of blurry vision, where we see things unclearly. So, having been partially healed, the once blind man can now see. He's what we call legally blind, but not literally blind. If he was in our generation and was wanting to drive a car, I guess he would need Coke bottle glasses to be able to do it. In the early days of contact lenses, a woman was stopped by an American cop and looking at her driving license, he said, ma'am, this says you should be wearing glasses. And she said, it's all right because I've got contacts. And he replied, I don't care how many contacts you have got, you should be wearing glasses. This blind man had been healed, but his healing wasn't complete. Isn't that a picture of us as followers of Jesus? Are there not times when we're seeing it, but with a blurry vision? Who among us would say, I have arrived. I've got it all together now. I see it all as it should be seen. It was true then and true now that spiritual growth is growth. There's nothing instant about it. After all, you want to develop in love, joy, peace, patience and so much more. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit within you, which doesn't happen in an instant, but develops and grows. That's bad news for a generation of impatient believers. We're like the man who was overheard praying, Lord, give me patience and I want it right now. We want quick answers. We're born as little babies in Christ. But as John the Apostle said, we go through stages of being a child, of being a young man, and of being a more mature father in the Christian faith. There's development. So what are we to do about this? Let me tell you one thing we certainly need to understand and to apply. Sometimes we expect too much from new believers. Jesus asked this man, do you see anything? That's a question we ought to ask those who have come to Christ. Let's be careful about putting new converts in the spotlight too quickly. They need time for their vision to become clear. What would you think of a newly married couple? And while he goes off on his honeymoon, she goes around telling people, I'm married now. Marriage is wonderful, you know. Something not quite right with all of that. Surely they should have time together and then she can talk about the change in her life. So don't give up when we are not quickly transformed. It's not unusual for our spiritual eyesight to be blurry at times. Which leads me to a fourth point I want us to see from this oh-so-relevant, strange miracle. We must declare truth. Coming to God, we come to him in complete honesty if we are to get our eyes fully opened to all that he wants to be about in our lives in the here and now, let alone in the future. We advance spiritually when we say, Lord, I am blind, help me see, or Lord, I'm not seeing as I should be seeing right now. I had often said, you know, a lot of people have Christianity, in my experience, like a headache. 
You know when you get a headache, you don't want to lose your head, just hurts you to keep it. And they don't want to lose their Christianity, but it hurts to keep it because they've got blurry vision. Because they're not seeing things as they should be seen. God only deals with us in reality. So if we are not real in communicating with him, we are going to miss it with him because he only deals with reality. And we're living in unreality. God intends to bring something good out of our honesty. Nothing is wasted with God, not even times when we can't see clearly spiritually. And what helped this man toward full sight was that he declared truth. Do you see that? He didn't lie to Jesus. That's a crucial insight. He could have made do. Well, this is certainly a whole lot better than I've been having all of my life. I'll settle for this. Not going to chance that it could get worse. No, he is honest about the state. If this man had said Anything less than this, he would never have got better. Oh, how hard it is to be truthful with God. How difficult to admit weakness, to say, it's me, it's me standing in the need of prayer. But Christ didn't ask, can you see anything to get information? It was to bring the transformation that the man needed. Jesus knew the answer to the question. He wanted the truth from the man himself. And we must come to the Lord just as we are. And when we do, he takes us as we are, but he never leaves us as we are. That's why the invitation of Jesus is always personal. Have you noticed that? To the church in Laodicea, which was lukewarm, it wasn't hot and it wasn't cold. Jesus said, if anyone hears my voice and not if everyone, but anyone doesn't have to be a church leader, but anyone, I'll come in and I'll fellowship with that individual. And remember, this blind man was helped by his honesty. Are we willing to be honest about our own condition before God? That was what Jesus was wanting from that church in Laodicea. This was a place where they were famous for an eye ointment, which people would come from miles around to be able to get to help them to see more clearly. And Jesus says, look, if you'll open the door, if you will not be cold or you'll not be hot, but you are just lukewarm, but you'll change from all of that and you'll actually warm up and become all that I want you to be, then I will give you an I self. I will help you to see things in a whole better way. But it's for us as individuals. And I've spoken to people who have been in church circles for years, but they've not truly seen what they've got themselves involved in as Christians. Admitting our need, we become candidates for divine eye surgery. So, Having moved from spiritual blindness to partial sight, don't stop. Move from seeing a spiritual blur to seeing clearly. And there is one key which will help to get our eyes open that way. Fix our eyes on a deliberate target. 
Fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, all that he has been, all that he is and all that he will be. Do you remember that couple after the death of Jesus on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem? And without them understanding or really seeing it, they had no idea that Jesus was walking with them down that dusty lane and road. And as he inquired about why they were so depressed in their look, they said, don't you know? Haven't you heard what happened to the one that we thought would be the Messiah, the Saviour? And what did Jesus do? He opened their eyes to the teaching of the Old Testament. What a Bible study that must have been. And he showed that these things were not an accident, but an incident in his ongoing purposes as the Messiah. And then he made as if to go on because he wasn't going to force himself upon them. And they invited him in and they recognized him and they saw it that he was the Messiah. How? As they asked him to break bread, they were now looking at his hands. And they would see the marks of the nails on his hands. And they now knew and immediately wanted to tell other people. A doctor came to a crossroads on a country lane. The signpost said it was both ways to the village he was heading for. Seeing an old country farmer, he said to him, does it make any difference which way I go? And the man replied, not to me, it doesn't. Well, having got our eyes opened, it matters which direction we go. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Faith is only as valid as the object we put it in. Put a lot of faith in thin ice, we could die by faith. Our faith might be strong, but the ice is not. Faith never makes up for the weakness of the object. And to grow as Christians, we don't move beyond Christ. Every day we live in dependency on Christ. So make him the aim. Get into the word of Christ. That's in the Bible itself. Meditate, reflect upon that. Get into worship and thanksgiving and praise individually and when we can corporately as well. Do you know why we don't trust God? We don't know him well enough. The more we get to know him, the easier it becomes to trust him. That's why we decide to target Christ as the object of our faith. And the more confident we are in the object of our faith, the less conscious we become of the exercise of our faith. Ask the wife of a businessman who usually will spend weeks away from home. Is your husband faithful to you when you are away? He is away from home. And she may say, I don't even think about that because I know my husband. She's got that faith and you don't need to say, oh, what an incredible faith, because she knows him. And the object makes the difference, doesn't it? And knowing not what we believe, but whom we have believed. That's why when we stand back in amazement at somebody's great faith, what are we saying? They're taking a chance. I mean, look at what they're doing. They trust God. Does that make sense? This is so important. Get to know Christ. 
That's why we read God's word, not to get to know the Bible, but to know Christ. The Bible is like a telescope. You don't spend your time looking and dissecting the telescope. You use it as a means to see things, to magnify them. Do the same with the Bible to see the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we look at what he did on the cross. He endured its agony for the joy set before him. And what was that joy? To have something he had not had with him throughout eternity before coming to planet Earth. You and me. To be able to share a new Earth and a new heaven together with him. That was the joy of what he was going through. Ask God. For divine eye surgery. So we see our hope in him. Let's fix our eyes upon him. My prayer is that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened. That we will see the hope that we have. No matter what this world throws at us, our future is secure and spectacular. And you know what's interesting? Revelation 1 is the only description of how Jesus looks right now. Artists have wondered, how shall I paint Jesus? And some of them have painted him a little bit like a blonde, blue-eyed surfer from California. You know the picture. John knew what Jesus looked like. He didn't write about what he looked like that first time but he did when he saw him in the book of Revelation from the Isle of Patmos. In the spirit, he saw the Lord as he now is. Of course, he uses symbols to communicate it. You just have to, to get across that picture. But his eyes were a flame of fire. He sees everything in us. This is Jesus as he is now. No wonder John, who had known him well, fell at his feet. John's response is worship and trust. Corrie ten Boom, a survivor of the Nazi war camp, said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future into the hands of a known God. Knowing and seeing Jesus, we will be moved to trust him more. Fanny Crosby, great hymn writer, so prolific. Sometimes she wrote under other names because she felt she was doing too much under her own name. She wrote, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. She'd seen that truth. But at one point she said, I'm very content now with being blind. In fact, I wouldn't want it any other way now, because when I meet the Lord, the first face that I will see will be the face of Jesus. In Revelation 21, John, having shown Jesus, comes to the point of saying he's going to create a new earth and a new heaven. And together with him, we'll have bodies just like the body of the Lord Jesus. It's so different to anything we've known. This is why when the future is described, it's usually in the negatives. No tears, no pain, no disease, no death. The only work of man in heaven that we will see 
will be the marks of the nails on his hands and where that spear went in to his side. It's a reminder throughout eternity of our worth to him. I hear people say, is worship all we're going to do in heaven? I couldn't think of anything more boring. Well, I just want to say God is not boring and we meet him. That is accentuated by some eulogies at funerals, of course. Well, they're up in heaven now and I'm sure they're playing golf. Don't reduce heaven to earthly activity, thinking it doesn't get any better than this, because it does. There is nothing more fascinating than God when face to face with him. And I think the last thing we're going to be thinking about then is whether there's a golf course that we can play. I have no time to develop this right now, but there will be a lot to do in heaven and it will be according to how we have lived now. Because although we are saved by faith alone, faith that is genuine does not remain alone. We grow, we develop, we move on. Let's not settle for anything less than our eyes wide opened enlightened to all that God is and wants to be about in our lives. Let's pray as Paul did, that we might have enlightened hearts. Decide now, as the psalmist did, we're going to lift our eyes in total praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this powerful Bible teaching. Thank you, Lord, for you are the one that gives light to our hearts and minds. May we be enlightened by the power of Jesus. May we enjoy all the blessings that we have through his wonderful grace. May Jesus open the eyes of our hearts so we can see precisely as you want us to see. In his name we pray. Amen.